Um, so today we are starting um, a new sermon series that was inspired by an experience the writer and preacher Diana Butler Bass had one day as she kneeled to pray here at the altar of this small chapel located in the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. She looked up at the image of Jesus that is over the altar there and prayed the prayer that had drawn her to that sacred place, a place she had visited uh, many times before. She writes of the experience uh, like this. My knees hurt. The cushion at the marble altar almost did not matter. I could feel the cold in my legs, the ache of unanswered prayers. Where are you, God? I asked. Silence. I looked up at Jesus in full triptych glory, surrounded by angels, robed in cobalt blue against a gilt background, shimmering sanctity. The small chapel in the great cathedral was one of my favorite places to pray, mostly because of this Jesus. Today, however, I was restless as I gazed intently at the massive icon of Christ. Usually the image drew me deeper toward God, and the railing where I knelt was a place of awakening and wisdom. Where are you, God? I asked again. Silence. God? A quiet plea, really, the most incomplete of prayers. Get me out of here, a voice replied. Was someone speaking to me? I looked behind, around. Get me out of here, the voice said again. I stared up at the icon, Jesus, is that you? Get me out of here, I heard again, more insistent now. But Lord... The chapel fell silent, but I know I heard a divine demand for freedom. I was not sure what to think, but I also did not want to tell the priest who was wandering up the aisle. I doubted the Washington National Cathedral would take kindly to the Son of God looking for the exit, and I was not sure what to do. Smuggling an altarpiece out of the building was not going to happen. Instead, I got up and nearly bolted out, all the while envisioning how I might rescue Jesus from the cathedral. I felt bad leaving him behind. Jesus can easily get confined by our limited perceptions of him. The ways the church, culture, even an artist attempts to pin him down, depict him, capture him. Jesus is definitely not two-dimensional, decidedly unable to be described by any particular set of words. When he was with his disciples, Jesus asked them this question, who do you say that I am? There is no simple answer to that question. There is no one right response that would earn us a gold star. 
In this sermon series, we will explore that reality as we seek to encounter Jesus anew as friend, teacher, savior, Lord, way, and presence. These are not the only six ways to understand or meet Jesus. They are just the beginning. The hope is that as we move through this study, we will set Jesus free from our limited understanding and we will let Jesus loose in our lives. Not relegating him to chapels in the National Cathedral or this place and hour in our week, but instead inviting Jesus to join us on the journey as we seek to encounter him anew in the world. Today, the journey begins as we encounter Jesus as our friend. Let us listen together to God's word for us this day, which comes from Jesus himself, as the Gospel of John records a conversation he had with his disciples as he prepared to leave them. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, but to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So this past week, I had the chance to get together with some old high school friends. A number of us have migrated back toward home as we have gotten older. And another one of us was in town visiting his mom and organized a little get-together in Lawrence while he was around. The others were bringing their young children, so Bryn joined me for the evening so she could join in on the fun. On our drive over, she started asking me about who we were going to see and how long I had known them. Even though I call them my high school friends, In reality, we all first met when our school district opened Indian Hills Elementary School when we were in the second grade. Nearly 35 years later, here we all were. 35 years seems like a feat, but when Maureen Keene and I visited our own Pat Shipman this week, she asked about her dear friend Carlotta, wanting to see how her friend was doing after her fall. She laughed, naming that she couldn't tell me what she ate yesterday, but how clear her memories are of Carlotta when they were just girls, for before their years of friendship as adults, they were good friends as children, having also met in grade school. 
there is just something about childhood friends because they know and understand where we came from in a way that people we meet later in life cannot. You can share your background, tell stories of your childhood, describe the home you grew up in, but it is a different thing for someone to have lived and experienced that with you. It's part of what makes the adage so often true, sisters make the best friends. For the people who know us from the very beginning, who know and share our history, have the potential to be dear friends to us. They have a window into the experiences and circumstances that formed and shaped us. And friendship requires letting ourselves be known. It demands trusting another enough to share the truth about ourselves and our lives. True friendship cannot exist only on the surface level with our shiny and put-together exteriors if we even manage that. It requires letting another in. Friendships deepen when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with another when we trust them with ourselves, and they do the same. Our childhood friends stick out because I think we are so often better at this as children before we build up our defenses after tough experiences where we are hurt or that trust is betrayed. Even watching my third grader approach a group of new kids is a different thing than seeing her do that same thing when she was four or five. We learn to be cautious, to be self-protective, to be a bit guarded, even at a young age. Yet for friendships that we can rely on and count on, that can connect us and fulfill us, we have to let our guard down and trust another with ourselves. Jesus understood how important it was to friendship to let ourselves be known, to trust another with the whole of who we are. In our scripture today, Jesus tells the disciple that he doesn't call them servants any longer because a servant would not know their master fully, wouldn't be trusted to know the master's plans. Jesus calls the disciples friends because he shared with them all that God has told him, which at this point includes who Jesus is and why he has come. Jesus is trusting the disciples with the fullness of who he is, and so they cannot be called servants. They are his friends. In Jesus' time, the idea that God's son would want to befriend them would have been a radical one. All the examples of gods in the cultures of that day were distant divine beings who were to be feared, who required servile sacrifices for their subjects to remain in their good graces. They were gods to be revered, set apart from the people in their marble and gold temples. For God to come in the flesh and meet people where they were and long to share in their life. For God to share God's plans, to trust those who drew close with everything, to love without condition, to name regular, ordinary people as friends, was a radical thing indeed. 
It still is. It's part of why Jesus spoke those words out loud in that cathedral on that day, which Diana Butler Bass's husband lovingly refers to as that time Jesus asked you to spring him from the slammer. Jesus doesn't want to be limited to our marble and gold temples, doesn't want to be relegated to artwork hung on a wall and admired by tourists as they pass on by. Jesus doesn't want to be confined to an hour of our lives. Jesus wants to live life with us. Jesus wants us to realize that he knows us completely and longs for us to share of our life with him so that we can learn to truly trust him. Jesus wants to be a friend we can rely on, one we can trust with anything, one that goes the road with us no matter where that road takes us. This week, Maureen and I also got to visit the Reverend Bill Walter, who started attending this church with his wife when they retired here after decades in the ministry. Bill has lived at Aberdeen Village, a local Presbyterian retirement and care facility for 21 years now. In the most recent years, Bill has lost almost all of his eyesight to macular degeneration and no longer can come to worship with us here. So we stay connected by taking communion to him out at Aberdeen. I love taking communion to Bill because we always have what I call a communion party. Bill invites friends from Aberdeen to join him when we visit, extending an invitation to the table to his friends as he did to his congregants for his decades of ministry. The one constant at these communion parties is Bill's friend, Ed. Ed and Bill first got to know one another when Ed and his wife moved in across the hall from Bill, and Bill learned that Ed was an artist. Bill's passion in his retirement has been art, and he helped create and maintain an art gallery at Aberdeen in his early years there. Before long, Ed became Bill's right-hand guy on that project. Over time, Bill lost his wife, Annabelle, and Ed was widowed as well, and their friendship deepened. When Bill's eyesight began to fail him, Ed became his eyes. Coming over to turn on the oven when Bill had muffins to bake, helping Bill read the menu at mealtime in the dining room, assisting Bill with his art for as long as he could continue with it, and helping him hang his works all over his apartment when Bill could only truly see them in his mind's eye anymore. In recent months, as Ed's eyesight has begun to fail as well, Bill has been introducing him to all the resources and gadgets he has used over the years and the two continue to help each other day in and day out. For the past weeks, Bill has been struggling with swelling in his leg, and Ed has been right by his side, helping him through this newfound difficulty. As we were leaving this week, Ed met us out in the hallway and the concern for his friend, the gratefulness for our prayers over him, was so evident not only in his words, but also in his eyes. Jesus says, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. When we love, truly love another and let ourselves be loved by them, then when we see their need, we will meet them where they are and love and care for them as they are. We are such independent people that we can struggle to rely on others. And yet I am convinced that that reliance, that need for one another, is part of God's design. There is such joy, a joy that is complete in Jesus' words, when we share fully in this life with one another, when we love, when we realize we aren't alone, when we have people we can trust, when we are able to lay down whatever is going on in our lives to help a friend in need, when we are able to receive the care of another. Jesus came to meet us right where we are, to love us, to show us that God is not some distant, scary tyrant whose wrath we appease through sacrifices made in fear, but instead that our God is a loving and compassionate God in whom we can trust and upon whom we can rely. Jesus came to help us know God all the more and to invite us into friendship with the divine. Jesus came to love us so that we might love ourselves and one another. Jesus came to lay down his life for us so we could see the beauty in laying down our life for a friend. The gift in having a dear friend do the same for us. Jesus came so that our joy our joy might be complete as we live this life in love with God and one another. Whether we have known it or not, Jesus has been our friend, not just for a handful of our years, but for all of them. The invitation this week is to get Jesus out of here and journey with Jesus in the week of life before you. As you move through all that will unfold in it, see how Jesus, your friend, meets you and walks with you along the way. Amen.